There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now we begin our study in verse number 10. The Bible says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning begging that Your Spirit would meet with us. That it would illuminate the Word of God, and Lord, You would awaken spiritual parts of our heart this morning. That we might be able to discern what Your Word is teaching us. Father, I'm so thankful for all those who do not regularly attend our church, but have chosen to worship with us this morning and Lord, I ask that the Word of God would speak to them and help them in some way in their Christian life. Lord, I pray for one in this room that might not be saved. I pray that today they'd realize what it means to be saved and, Lord, how they can know for sure that they are saved. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen. Now, there is not much fresh or original on television or in theaters these days. In fact, I tell my wife, the thing that I'm looking for in TV shows and movies is just something creative. Because we have remake after remake and, and uh, sequel after prequel after they're not all equal. Uh, we have uh, just an absurd amount of mediocrity being produced by Hollywood. What? That's exactly right. Most of it is junk, but... But there is a show on television that I, I found rather unique, and it is, as you can see on the screens, called Undercover Boss. Now, can you, by a show of hands, let me know this morning if you're familiar with the idea or, or kind of what goes on in the show? Raise your hand if you are. Okay. So most of you are, and some of you uh, probably that live under a shell do not know, and I'll explain it for you now. The idea of the show is this. They take the owner of the company, and most of the time it's large companies, something uh, where you have many different levels within the, the company. For instance, last night I watched one on Popeye's Chicken. And they, yeah, amen, brother, amen. And uh, they had there uh, the, I, I guess, CEO or COO, one of the very higher ups of the company, go into a makeup room and, and basically put on this disguise so that they would be unrecognizable to the employees. And then what they do is they put them in very entry-level jobs so that they can work side-by-side side with the employees that actually allow the company to function as it should function. And the, the Popeye's episode was pretty cool. But what usually happens is there's something within the show that makes the boss angry towards an employee. And other times, there's something within the show that, that makes the boss very happy towards the employee. But they cannot reveal their identity until at the end of the show. And I think that this is pretty new. I, I, I'd never heard of anything like this until I was reading my Bible the other day. 
And I came across this passage. Imagine, if you will, some writer in Hollywood reading the Bible. I know it's a hypothetical situation that we probably have to very, use a lot of imagination on, but, but imagine somebody coming across this. The creator of the world. The creator of all that is came into the world. But the world didn't recognize him. And since they didn't recognize him, they wouldn't receive him. I, I found it amazing and I realized that even the show that I thought was kind of original... It's nothing more than a copycat version of what the first episode of Undercover Boss ever looked like was when Jesus climbed the staircase of glory down to this old rotten and filthy wicked world and He Himself took upon Himself the form of a servant and worked alongside men that were no better than you and I and He there laid Himself on the cross. And He's the first episode of Undercover Boss. I want to share with you just a few points, if you will, today about this. Verse number 10, I want you to see with me an unrecognized power. The Bible says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him. See, verse number 10 claims that Jesus was the Creator. And I believe if you do a little Bible study, you will find out that it was not God that created the heavens and the earth and, and all that is. God the Father certainly was there. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that uh, God was certainly there. But if you read Colossians 1, John 1, Hebrews 1, the Bible tells us exactly who created the world. It was Jesus. And Jesus was the creator. I believe uh, God uh, was there, and I certainly believe, uh, as the Bible says, in the beginning, God, that word God in the Hebrew means Elohim. As, in other words, there were three there that day, and I believe they kind of had a huddle within themselves, and they said, how do we want to do this? And they worked together, and certainly the Spirit moved upon the face of the deep. But the Bible claims that Jesus was the creator. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, But to us there is but one God, God the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, notice this, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're still speaking of one God here, but it says in that one God there's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, By whom all things uh, are all things, and by Him, and we by Him. Jesus is the Creator. Hebrews chapter 1 is without a doubt one of my very favorite chapters in the Bible. It starts out like this in verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past by the fathers, to, uh, by the prophets, hath in these last days, and the, 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 the picture I love in the verse is this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners and the language used in the Bible almost makes it as if to seem we would have never comprehended God. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, 
But in these last days, the Bible says, has spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, and whom also He made the worlds. You see, you and I could not comprehend God had it not been for God coming to us. Jesus was so necessary for us to understand the love of God. Jesus is the Creator, but not only does verse number 10 claim that He is the Creator, it also claims that there was a tremendous confusion during the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says, He was in the world and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. What a condemnation and an indictment that God walks side by side with people. And he was unrecognizable to most. He was unrecognizable that the same hands that these men were sharing bread with was the same hands that crafted the world. There was a tremendous confusion. You say, surely there were some. Well, there were, by the end of Jesus' ministry, some that recognized him as who he was. But this is how it got to start, okay? Uh, one day... Jesus has gathered some disciples together. And these disciples are very excited about this new man that they've started following. The Bible even says they've left their occupation, they've left their homes, and they're following Jesus. One day they get on a boat, no doubt, they head across the the sea there, and a storm arises. Jesus is in the back of the boat, and, and they're professional sailors. They probably had some experience But the storm got too big for even them. They go to this man that they're now following and they say, Jesus, look, look. And Jesus is brokenhearted by the lack of their faith. He stands up, calms the storm, calms the waves, calms all the problem. And you know what their response to this miracle was? They looked at each other and they said, What manner of man is this? You see, early on in Jesus' ministry, not even the disciples recognized Him for who He was. It got even worse because later on, while the disciples have kind of come along in their recognition and their belief of who Jesus is and His position in the Godhead, now Jesus looks at Peter and, and all the disciples one day, and He asks this question, Whom do men say that I am? What is the public poll going on about who I am. And we can trust polls, right? I'm sure they're totally trustworthy in every regard. But, but Jesus says, guys, what are you hearing? What, who do people think that I am? And they look at Jesus and they say, well, some think you're Elias, a, a, a pre-incarnation or a reincarnation, if you will, of, of Elias and some Jeremiah. And, 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 and there's, there's basically, Lord, we can, we can narrow it down by this. They all believe you're a prophet of sorts. And Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter had a lot of bad moments in his life, but this wasn't one of them. Peter, with all the courage that he could muster, And I usually don't think Peter had much trouble with courage, if you know what I mean. Peter stands up, and I believe he looks Jesus in the face. He did not have to consult his friends there. He looked at Jesus and says, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Lord, there's no confusion to me. Oh, just a few chapters back, I was amazed that you could calm the storm. But Lord, I've walked side by side with you and I've dealt with you and I've seen how you deal with people. And Lord, I, I believe totally. I believe full-hearted as much faith as I can muster. I believe you're the very Son of God, the one whom we've been waiting for. I believe when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taken away the sins of the world. Lord, I believe he was talking about you're the Passover, the Passover lamb. Oh man, Peter looked at Jesus and says, you are the son of God. But what's so sad about the ministry of Jesus is so few recognized him as that. The creator walked among roads that he himself created. He, he, he walked land he himself sprung up into existence. Yeah. And no doubt the land recognized him for who he was. No doubt creation recognized him for who he was. But the Bible says not everyone did. There was an unrecognized power. Secondly, I want you to notice with me this morning an unreceived person. The Bible says in verse number 11... Not only did he come into the world and the world knew him not, they did not recognize him. The Bible says in verse number 11, he came into his own and his own received him not. Now, his purpose in coming was to fulfill all prophecy that the Old Testament had laid down. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible gives us the very first prophecy ever, and it was this. That Satan may have won the battle with Adam and Eve, but Jesus Christ would triumph over the devil and would win the war. All the Old Testament prophecies that would say that Jesus would come were fulfilled at his coming. But did you know that when Jesus came, he made very clear the people for whom he came for first? You see, I... I struggle with this a little bit, but friend, God loves Israel. Now, He loves you and me, but He chose Israel. They are His chosen nation. I believe that's one of the reasons that the day that America turns their back on Israel, as bad as a nation as we are, as sinful as a nation as we are, I believe one of the only reasons God is still continuing to bless us is that we stand with Israel. But the day we turn our back on Israel, let me just say right now, according to the Word of God, God will turn His back on us. Our prayer ought to be for Israel, but Jesus Christ even claimed, when He was speaking to the Canaanitish woman, He said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, my mission, my objective is for Israel. And what's so incredible about this is Israel had more in their religion about Jesus than they even realized. You see, every year they would hold a Passover feast. You know what that Passover feast was? It was in recognition of what God had done in Egypt, but it was in anticipation of what God would do in the future. Amen. They would hold feasts to Jesus, and yet when He came, they did not recognize Him as Messiah. They were looking for a political Messiah, and they missed the sacrificial Messiah. He came unto His own, and He was rejected. Not only did He have a purpose, and that was coming for Israel, 
his plight was that no one received him. I was watching one of the episodes of Undercover Boss yesterday, and, and I found it hilarious because it, I don't remember the company exactly. They have so many. But essentially, this boss, the owner of the company, was working in the warehouse. And there he was on one of the forklifts, and he was trying to be trained on how to work within the warehouse. And, and uh, uh, he had a supervisor there teaching him kind of the ins and outs. And, and the supervisor was super big on safety. Well, throughout the course of the episode, the owner of the company does something wrong in, in, in terms of the safety code that they had to abide by. Now, listen. This man who is a supervisor over this warehouse sits the owner of the company down. And he looks at him and he says, I'm sorry, it's just not working out. <laughs> I wish I were making it up, but I, I loved it. The boss... The owner, the CEO, gets fired. <laughs> and the boss goes, well, this is disappointing. <laughs> and the, the supervisor goes, I feel the same way too. <laughs> Can you imagine the owner not being able to do something that's so entry level that he would get fired? Did you know when Jesus came into this world, he was the creator he is the provider. He was the sacrificial lamb. And yet so many people looked at him and said, yeah, you're not working out for me. I just don't think that I want to accept you for who you are. And may I remind you, it was not the Romans who delivered Christ up to be crucified. In fact, I remember Pilate there. I, I have a, maybe I'm wrong, but I have a very soft heart for Pilate. I have a very soft heart for those that had to stand in judgment of our Savior when He's saying, I find no fault with this man. And then in, in, in just a search for an answer, He brings a man who is guilty of certain seditions and heresies. He puts up Barabbas. Most Bible theologians believe that Barabbas was a thief but while he was stealing something, he would go to violence. In other words, he would uh, mug someone and potentially kill them for his gain. And he puts up Barabbas and he says, I'll give you a choice. Do you want Barabbas, who, who you know is guilty, he's been found guilty, he was caught with blood on his hands, do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And they looked at Barabbas and they said, Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. Whew. I'm so sad and so disappointed that the Jews did not recognize who Jesus was when He came to this earth. But I'm thankful that Christ was committed all the way to the death of the cross so that I, a non-Jewish man, a Gentile, the Old Testament would, would label me as a stranger, an outsider, an outcast, a reject. I'm so thankful that Jesus died on the cross to level the playing field, if you will, so that I could be saved.
Oh, there's an unreceived person. And finally, I want to share with you this in verse number 12. An unrelenting promise. You see, if I were Jesus, and I had come to this earth, and been treated the way that I had been treated, and been rejected the way that I was rejected. You see, Jesus, throughout the course of His ministry, had men following Him, attorneys, if you will, just trying to find fault in the very words that He would say. They would set up meetings so that they could attack Jesus on the basis of what He was speaking and teaching. If I had been Jesus and been treated like that, I'd have gone somewhere else. I certainly wouldn't have welcomed a death for the people who were about to kill me. I certainly would not have been so kind and gracious as our Lord and Savior was. But the Bible tells us in verse number 12, despite the conditions of His coming, the Bible says this, but as many as received Him, See right there, it's an extensive promise. And there is a damnable doctrine in churches, not this church, but in churches, that are teaching that there is an exclusive group of people that can be saved. And let me just say that is not biblical, and it is a concept of backslidden and falsely led men. I believe in the elect of God, but I do not believe in the select of God. You see, the Bible tells us that God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ witnessed to many people that did not come to know Him as Savior. Jesus was not selective in who He would bring along. No, Jesus cast the gospel to every man. And He says, you have the opportunity to accept Me as Savior. But I died for you, and I loved you, the Bible says in John chapter 3.16. For God so loved the world. Now you define the world by the passage that we're in tonight, John chapter 1. What's the world? Oh, the world is the creation of God that when Jesus came into the world, the world accepted Him not and they rejected Him. God so loved that world. For God so loved that world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. You see, God is not selective, although there is an elect, but that is a biblical doctrine. God loves everybody. And God is not willing that one man should have to enter the gates of hell. He didn't even create hell for sinners. He created it for Satan. God loves everyone. And this promise extended to everyone who would receive. The Bible says, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. You see, not only is it an extensive promise, it's an empowering promise. Now, I could say, uh, Brother Dyer, I need you to run to QT for me. And I need you to get me a sweet tea. All right, I like sweet tea, Brother Dyer. Do you like sweet tea? Okay, well, you're not getting one for you. You're getting one for me, just so we're clear upon the terms of this contract which you are entering in. Now, there's attorney present, so you will be liable to these terms. <laughs> Brother Chris, I could say, 
You have to run to Quick Trip to get me a sweet tea. But I could offer you my keys. Now, if you choose to take those keys, it would sure make your journey a lot easier. And, and what God did when He sent Jesus was, He empowered us. Oh, no, don't confuse this for you having power to save you, because that is not biblical. What God made available was the key to your salvation. And the key to your salvation is not works. The Bible says, uh, there shall no flesh be justified by the works of the law. You cannot be saved by being good. And I tell you, when I try being good, that's when I find myself kind of not being so good. You cannot be saved by being a good person. You cannot be saved by giving to charity or doing good deeds or, or, or praying or coming to church. Man, if you come to this church, that's probably going to keep you out of heaven, just saying. That was a joke. <laughs> but the Bible here says to those people who would receive Jesus, He made heaven accessible and available to them. Power is not in your hands. The power is in your ability to choose to accept Christ. Just like every good gift, you can choose to reject it. I could hand you an envelope with a thousand dollars in it, but if you say, I don't want that, well, no, you're crazy. What Jesus did is he gift wrapped the greatest gift ever given on the cross of Calvary, and he hands it to you. The Bible says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to what? To be called. The sons of God. Verse number 12. To become the sons of God. Not only is an extensive promise, an empowering promise, it is an emphatic promise. Notice this. The Bible says, even to them that believe on His name. I remember sitting in a, a, a preaching class when I was in Bible college. I, I believe I've told you this story before. I was sitting in a preaching class in college and the instructor just trying to jog our minds, if you will, trying to get us to think about the Bible and be able to defend the Bible if we were asked to do so. He just posed one simple question. He said, is a prayer necessary to be saved? And there was about probably 15 preacher boys in the class. It was an advanced level preaching class. And uh, it didn't help much, as you can tell, uh, but we were there, and, and I looked at him, and I go, no. No. Why would a prayer be necessary if the Bible says all you have to do is believe? And the Bible uh, goes into very great lengths to defend the integrity that prayer or works or baptism has never gained any acceptance with God. It has always been about believing on Jesus. And there I am in that class, and me and one other young man raised our hand. No, you don't have to pray to be saved. The rest of the class raised their hand and said, no, I believe, I believe you pray, you have to pray, and, and that's... It broke my heart. And so we're clear this morning. 
the only thing that is required to gain salvation is believe on Him who died for you. And churches and denominations and and Bible studies have thrown on all sorts of different things. Well, if you're saved, you'll produce the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, but fruits of the Spirit have to do with sanctification, not salvation. Well, if you're saved, you'll tithe. (laughs) Once again, that's what you do after you're saved. Not to be saved. (laughs) There's a story of a a time in Paul's life where a jail shakes and a gate opens and they're free to go and, and, or, and, and there's a jailer who comes in concerned that all those men uh, uh, escaped during the night after the earthquake happened. He comes in and the Bible says he grabbed his sword because he was going to take his own life for fear what the government would do to him. Yeah. And Paul says, hey, don't do that. Amen. We're all here. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Basically what he was saying is, you've got something I've never seen before. And I believe if you're saved and if you've been saved very long, people should be saying that about you. He looks at them and says, sirs, what must I do to have what you have? Let me read for you exactly the prescription for this man's salvation. Now, Paul could have said the exact remedy. He could have gone into the Romans road. I mean, he's the one that would eventually write it. Uh, So, I mean, he could have done anything. He could have gone, this is the ABCs, one, two, threes of salvation. He could have gone through the five-point plan. You got got to know God loves you. You got to know that you're a sinner. He He could have gone through all this. He didn't. You know what he said? The Bible says this. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. It is the perfect remedy for your problem. You see, from the day you came into this world, you have been sick, terminally. You've been sick from the day you cried your first cry. The Bible says that you since your father is Adam, are a sinner. The Bible lumps us into the category of Adam's children. It's like this. Adam was the bus driver of humanity, if you will. And the decisions that Adam made affected us all. Now, we were not sitting at the wheel, but Adam was in control, and we were there with Adam. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, even if, you, even if your sin wasn't passed down the line of Adam, which it was biblically, your sin that you personally have committed does affect you. Whether it's by the fruit of sin or the root of sin, you stand guilty before a holy God. And today the question may be resounding in your heart, what must I do to be saved? You know what saved is? It's the exact opposite of being lost. Have you ever been lost in the woods at night? Now, I spend a lot of time in the woods. I'm trying to get away from my daughters. They're driving me crazy. I, uh, I, I'm a sportsman. I go hunting a lot. And uh, I, I find 
that there is no scarier place than the woods at night. Now, I don't know why. I know the animals that are native to the area, and, and for some reason I always think that the cougar is native to my one specific location. No, not a mountain within 100 miles, and yet the mountain lion lives on my property. But there's something scary about the woods at night. Friend, if you don't know Christ, you're lost in the woods. And your sense of direction is all wrong. You have no way to get to God. Because you don't even know the direction to start if you tried to find God. The Bible says, for we have all become unprofitable. We have all sought our own way. The Bible also tells us that it was at that exact point in time. But God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ dying on the cross was not so that Hollywood could make a movie or that uh, channels could make documentaries about His life. The reason Christ died was to demonstrate the greatest love story that's ever been shown when He spread out His arms on the cross and said, I love you this much. What must you do to be saved? Believe on the name of Jesus. You see, at the end of every episode of Undercover Boss, they reveal the boss. And the whole time, the boss has been in disguise, but this moment they walk in, and most of the time they think it's like a a review of their work. Not necessarily directly related to the cameras that have been following them around, which I wonder why they're not more suspicious of. (laughs) But they come in and and they see sitting there the boss. But the boss is no longer in disguise. Now he sits in a necktie. He sits as their employer. And they're reviewed. And he talks about their interaction... He talks about the training that they may have given him, ways that they can correct or fix what they did. And and many times these people are met with bonuses and vacations. But I watched one last night. The boss looks at this young lady and he says, I was disappointed in you. I'm going to have to let you go. Now she had every opportunity to get a vacation to get a salary, but because of the choices she made and the dealing she had with the boss, she was fired. You see, there's a happy ending or a sad ending at the end of your episode as well. The episode that is your life will culminate with you looking at the boss. And he will judge you based only upon this, the dealings that you had with him. Whether while He was here you recognized Him as Lord, or whether you rejected Him. Whether you accepted His eternal sacrifice for your sins, or whether you said, I don't need that, that's for someone else. What's your ending going to look like? Will it be happy? Will it be sad?